What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the end of the day, when you're talking about the owners, outside of actually the Rooney family and maybe one or two other owners, we're talking about, you know, 30 Trump clones. That's what people have to understand. So the same people picking the cabinet for and repicking and repicking the cabinet for the United States of America are the same people doing the hiring and hiring almost completely white GMs. And the few times they hire an African-American GM, they're very successful, like Ozzie Newsom or Jerry Reese, both who have brought Super Bowls. So it starts from the top. Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we speak to Charles Modiano of the New York Daily News about the hiring practices of the National Football League. Are they racist or are they, in fact, racist? We will discuss. Also, I've got some choice words about the case of Maori Davenport, which is a story you need to know about a high school basketball player in Alabama. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards. But first, from the terrific recording studio of WPFW Pacifica here in Washington, D.C., we have Charles Modiano. How you doing, sir? Oh, um, I'm great. How are you? Well, you look like you're a little worse for wear. You feeling okay? You can tell <laughs> t- tell our audience the truth. Oh, I've been a little under the weather the last few days, but that's so. But if I could feel like one of Aton Thomas's shoes, then I'm going to be all right. Man, it, it might take both of us to fill one shoe in the literal sense, but in the intellectual sense and the sports sense, I think Aton Thomas would agree with me when I say you are absolutely hand in glove when it comes to the collision and the way we talk about sports. So Uh-oh. we're very happy to have you here. Well, I appreciate it. You've been doing this for a long time, so you know Damn. everybody else who's been writing from a progressive point of view um, really appreciates your work for a very long time. Incidentally, back when Aton Thomas was unable to find an outlet to write the, about the fact that he was against the Iraq war and I know that you were able to provide that outlet so we've come a long way good gracious it has come a long way hasn't it I used to joke around that talking about this connection between sports and politics I used to joke around and say this was like my sort of stand-in joke that yeah all of us who write about that stuff we're gonna have our convention meeting in a phone booth 
<laughs> right. That was right. my little joke. And now it's like you've got this whole generation of writers, uh, websites, yeah. all kinds of things that do it. And sometimes I do feel a little bit like Old Man River. Right. Like I just sort of look at it and say, wow, this is a... Uh, this is no longer a small pond. I mean, but isn't that is, the point? That always, for me, that always was the point. Yeah. It was never about uh, morning glory. It was always about trying to make uh, the, that phone booth into an actual community of people, right? And then to help wherever I can, wherever I can. That's why the thing I'm, I'm proudest of what I'm doing right now isn't the books or whatnot. And I'm saying this for the audience out there is I've got, and I'm saying this to you, Chuck, is I've got this publishing imprint for people who want to write about sports and politics called Edge of Sports out of Akashic Books. It's an imprint. It's part of Akashic Books. So you, Chuck, if you have any sports and politics book ideas, I do. hint, 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 uh, we'd love to get you on board with that. But Chuck, I really wanted to have you on the show, not just because you're, you're a mind who thinks about these intersections, uh, but also because you have been absolutely not just on fire, but the leading edge, the sharpest edge on the issue of NFL coaching hires. Yeah. Now, so just so our audience knows, um, during let call it like week 16, week 17 of the NFL season, how many black coaches were there in the NFL? Before the end of the season? Before the end of the season. I believe there were seven or eight. Yeah, it yes, was yeah, that's seven. exactly right. Uh and so so and that so let's let's call it let's call it seven. So seven out of thirty two and actually uh I think that's what what is that roughly? Seven out of thirty two. That's roughly uh math people out there, it's just over twenty percent. Yeah. So and the African American percentage in the NFL, what is that? Seventy percent. Yeah, over seventy percent. That is correct. So you've got seventy percent of the players are African American. Roughly twenty percent of the coaches are African American. Not a great number mm-hmm. as of today, January tenth, two thousand nineteen. How many black head coaches are there in the NFL? Two. Two. And one of them is the the Anthony Lynn, and nobody's looking for the next Anthony Lynn. Wow, Anthony Lynn. Yeah, of, that's part of it. So let's be clear about this. It's two out of 31 right now. They've done this whole series of rehires, or I should say hiring, yeah. uh, of the coaches who were, who were fired uh, after the end of the season. And everybody's been hired at every team except for the Miami Dolphins. And so out of 31 and teams— And the Bengals, I think, maybe as well. But nobody oh, wants that true. job. Yeah, nobody wants it. So call it out of 30 teams— out of 30 teams, there are two black coaches. Two out of 30 right now. Two out of 30. And those two, one of them, as you mentioned, is Anthony Lynn of the Los Angeles Tar Chargers, who's still in the playoffs, who before this season, even though he just completed one season, he was one of those coaches, quote unquote, on the hot seat. Yeah. Unbelievable how quick that yeah. seat gets hot if you're a black That's coach. Right. And the second coach just happens to be someone who's been to two Super Bowls and won right. one. Mike Tomlin. Yes, and there's a vibrant fire Mike Tomlin crowd. It's it's absurd. Yeah, it's yeah, and there's a, so there was a fire Anthony Lynn crowd. Yeah. They've they've dissipated, and there is a fire Mike Tomlin crowd, and those are the only black coaches yeah. in the National Football League. So for I've got so many questions for you to talk about this, and to talk to you about the one coach who nobody's talking about, who you have been an absolute. I mean, you have been like Thor with the hammer. Uh, pounding away at this idea of one particular coach who we'll talk about by the name of Jim Caldwell and why he isn't getting any interviews. And we'll get to Jim Caldwell. But first and foremost, if somebody asked you on the street and just asked you this question, why is it 
that there are only two black coaches in the National Football League. How do you answer that question other than just saying uh, the most basic thing about like, yeah, this is racism? How do you answer that question that there are only two out of 31 coaches, two out of 30 coaches? Well, well the first the basic thing I say, this is racism. Okay, good. <laughs> so you get your starting point. I, I get my starting point out. But what, what we have is a league of you know, virtually all white owners – and I think we can take a cue from Kaepernick, and I think there's there are some parallels. And so we don't we we learn from Kaepernick blatantly that owners will choose not to lose games, to, to choose to lose games, then be better because at least in many minds, including Mara from the Giants, who stated it publicly, they believe Ka- Kaepernick will hurt their bottom line. Mm-hmm. If it's not overt racism, it's economic racism. And I think what you're seeing. With um, a number of, of teams not hiring black coaches or trying to hire the, the, the quote-unquote next McVay or anyone who shared a bathroom stall next to McVay or anyone who McVay likes is... Now, let's be clear for all our, our people listening who aren't necessarily the big NFL fans. Sure. When you say the next McVay, what are you referring to? Well, lately, there's there's um, Sean McVay of the uh, Los Angeles Rams is a young coach who's done quite well. He's never won a playoff game yet, but he's done quite well in his first two seasons and what and all you need to become a genius in the in the public media's mind is to just do well in your first two seasons you don't have to win a playoff game but what's happened is Sean McVay was actually an offensive coordinator calling plays for three years so you can make an and he was nine years a coach you can make the argument that he demonstrated his competence prior to being hired okay and what has happened since then in an effort to find a new young hot white coach they but are I also have to interrupt really quick it. I'm sorry I'm going to keep interrupting I'm sorry, you. you do it but but also just to say that also he's Part of the picture, uh, young, white, offensive-minded coach yes. who also has the last name McVeigh, which is a multi-generational name in NFL circles and in executive circles, which to me goes with the whiteness, this yes. idea of legacy and, and continuity the same way it does if you're applying for admissions at Yale. Sure, and I'm glad you make the Yale point. I mean, even Kyle Shanahan, son of Mike Shanahan, you have a lineage, and and we know coaches hire their friends and hire their sons. We know yes, so many Schottenheimers. There, there are a bunch of Schottenheimers. <laughs> there's there are five or six Turners on North Turners Panthers right now. That's um, run by Ron Rivera. And even yesterday, you know, there was this funny headline that said um, Clint Kubiak is being looked at for the quarterback coach for Denver. Well, what they didn't say is Gary Kubiak is his father. So I think his father's going to look at him uh, pretty favorably. His father was the coach of the Denver Broncos when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, yeah. and he was a longtime backup to the general manager and close friend, yeah. John Elway. So they don't call it the nepotism football league for nothing. Um, you know, there's a reason for that. And, you know, what we're seeing now is what used to be just be the nepotism football league is now you no longer have to pay your dues. So you have a guy like Cliff uh, Kinsbury who's never coached a single down in the NFL, and not only that in his college days was 35 and 40 unqualified by any measure whatsoever and he gets um one of 32 jobs of a billion dollar industry and where was he hired for the arizona Cardinals. and who did he replace Steve Wilkes, uh, you know, Dave, you're you're good at this. Um, Steve Wilkes was a black man hired, and he only got one year. One year. One year to develop. Now the critics will come and t- say, "Oh well, Steve Wilkes stunk. Oh, Steve Wilkes went uh, only won a few games." Well, Steve Wilkes won two games over the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, and I'm told Kyle Shanahan's a genius despite a 10 and 22 record. So what what we're what we're seeing in the NFL is if another 
quote-unquote respected white coach says you're a quote-unquote great offensive mind, that that white reference will trump your win-loss record, your experience, your experience as a coordinator, and any statistic that we have. All you need is a white reference from a coach that is respected by white media. Or somebody who a white owner is more comfortable with. You know, one of the quotes I can't get out of my head, it doesn't come from the NFL, it comes from the NBA, and it's when um, Steve Kerr was hired to replace Mark Jackson uh, as coach of the Golden State Warriors. A fine hire by by all counts. Steve Kerr has had a lot of success. That's not my point whatsoever. (laughs) My point is that I believe it was the owner, Joe Lacob, or a friend of Joe Lacob, who referenced Steve Kerr in comparison to Mark Jackson, and they said he's the kind of person you could imagine playing golf with, and saying it as this kind of compliment, yeah, you know, and not realizing how that reeks of of race, how it reeks of privilege, how yeah. it reeks of this idea that says what does it mean to be in the in club or in the out club, yeah. and golf, with of course, also has an overtone of the hereditary and the legacy sure. and all the rest of it as well. Sure, and and you know what's interesting is what makes sports different than every other profession under the sun, where you can just hire an unqualified white person and elect one as president of the United States. Is sports gives us statistics, mm-hmm. so. The, the baseline of statistics gives us a chance to say, that's racist, I have the data, and I'm going to show you. And even despite that, we're still seeing these hires. So what I want to read to you is a real quote. I, if I, it, it sounds like an SNL skit, but when the Arizona Cardinals hired Kingsbury, this is what they said. Kingsbury is friends with Rams coach Sean McVay, the 32-year-old offensive genius who has become the blueprint of many of the new coaching hires around the NFL. And McVay reached out to Kingsbury after Texas Tech's let him go to see if Kingsbury wanted to join the Rams staff. Um, so he, he, this is what they're doing in their press release. Not their, They can't talk about their record because he was 35 and 40 at Texas Tech. They can't talk about his NFL experience because he has none. So what they put in their press release is that he's friends with Sean McVay. And he, it was so widely mocked on social media that they have adjusted it since. But what used to happen in the past that is that we would talk about the, the good old boy Friends Network, and now they're actually admitting to it in writing. And that says something in and of itself, that they feel that sense of emboldenment, which I think is totally connected to the nepotism in chief that we have in the White House yeah. and in our culture and this idea that people aren't trying to hide it anymore, that it's just out there and the NFL reflects that. So I have a couple, I have so many questions I want to ask you about all of this. Um, the thing that was supposed to make this not happen is something that's known as the Rooney Rule. Yeah. And it's called the Rooney Rule after the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But honest and true, it should be called the Johnny Cochran Rule, not the Rooney Rule. Sure. Because it only exists because uh, attorneys Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary and uh, Silver Springs' own Jeremy Duru, shout out to Jeremy, were all part of a legal team that fought to try to end this kind of blaring inequity and and racial bias in hiring. And so it is a mandated rule in the National Football League that you have to sit down with a quote-unquote minority candidate. You have to sit down with a candidate of color as you are doing your, uh, your, your round of interviews to see who is going to be the head coach of your billion-dollar franchise. Now, it's I'm looking at this offseason, and I'm feeling like the Rooney Rule has done a face plant that it has obviously failed on the merits. You talked about statistics. Uh, The Rooney Rule 
has failed. And I wanted to ask you, what is your general opinion of the Rooney Rule? What does it not address? I certainly have my own opinions about what it doesn't address. And why do you think it face-planted so hard this offseason after years, you could argue, of granular progress? I think granular progress is the right word. It's marginal success. Um, that's all you could expect from it. You could only expect marginal success. At the end of the day, when you're talking about the owners, outside of actually the Rooney family and maybe one or two other owners, we're talking about, you know, 30 Trump clones. That's what people have to understand. So the same people picking the cabinet for and repicking and repicking the cabinet for the United States of America are the same people doing the hiring and hiring almost completely white GMs. And the few times they hire an African-American GM, they're very successful, like Ozzie Newsom or Jerry Reese, both who have brought Super Bowls. So it starts from the top. And the, and the owners will always remain white and conservative because you, you, if you want to have 10 to 20 billion dollars, you're just you're going to be white and you're going to be conservative. So conservative, racist, whatever you want to call it. So I don't I don't have much hope for the Rooney rule. And yet I'm not that person who says completely dump it because even that granular success or getting in the loop, it, it might be something. But I'm not going to argue with anybody who says get rid of it. It's it's not the fight I'm going to have. It's so much deeper than that. White so, supremacy reinvents itself. Yeah, so, but why, why do you think the Rooney Rule fails? Like, what, 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 what would it mean? Because I'm one of those people who, who says, you know, you keep the Rooney Rule, but you give it some actual teeth. Do you have any thoughts about what it would... I, I certainly have my well, own Well, I would agree. No, I would agree with you, Keep. I wouldn't say get rid of it because it had marginal success, but I think you need a Rooney Rule at the general manager level exactly. as well. So, because the general managers are the ones making these decisions. So, when a guy like Lovey Smith, who had a 10-6 and 6 record with the Bears, um, and um, I think uh, Philip Emery, Emery came, was the G. And he hired a guy named Mark Tressman. And if you read the actual quotes, he was blown away in his five-hour interview in a hotel room. So you have these two white dudes vibing, and he says, that's a football coach. Mm-hmm. And those were his, his exact words. That's a football coach. And when you have Bob Quinn on the Detroit Lions, who 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 gets rid of um, um, Jim Caldwell, who's 9-7 two years in a row with a six-win uh, team of talent, and hires his friend, Matt Patricia. Patricia, who he used to know from the Patriots, and, and he goes 6-10. and ten. He mm. hired his friend. So what we're talking about is these white people. Now, now I, I honestly believe Quinn believed Matt Patricia was more competent. I believe he believed that. And, and that has to do with your whiteness. And that has to do with white people believing other white people are competent. And that has to do with white people giving other white people the benefit of the doubt uh, um, about someone's genius or great offensive mind. But they don't call Jim Caldwell a great offensive mind. They don't actually call any black coach a great offensive mind. They don't talk about genius in, in blackness, uh, 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 neither does the media. So we have a fundamental problem um, that goes really deep. And as long as you're going to have 30 white general managers and 31 or whatever white owners, I don't see how this problem goes away. Can you talk a little bit more um, about Jim Caldwell and what it is about his non-hiring this offseason that strikes you as particularly egregious? Well, you know, what's interesting is, is that even amongst football people who know football, they don't have a great high opinion of Jim Caldwell. And it drives me crazy. And it drives me crazy because all the data is there. All of the data is there. So we're talking about a man who was once, um, I'm going to take it back to when he was um, the quarterback coach for Peyton Manning. And everyone will say he was just along for the ride. But that was not the case. What people don't know is Peyton Manning averaged 20 interceptions his first five years. Mm -hmm. And Caldwell was instrumental to cutting down on those uh, interceptions and, 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 and 
Peyton speaks very highly of him. His first year Remember as Peyton's head coach, rookie year. I'm sorry. Remember Peyton's rookie year? That was 20, he came in about the fifth, sixth year. His first few years were under Jim Mora. No, but his rookie year, everybody talks about how he had 26 touchdown passes, which was the record until Baker Mayfield broke it this yeah, past year. He had 28. And nobody mentioned that he had 28 picks. Right. 28 picks is is, is a mind-boggling number of yeah, interceptions. He had, yes, he was. He, he had 28 picks. He was willy-nilly. And if you look at every quarterback under. Um, uh, Jim Caldwell, you know, we're, we're talking about a man who also went to the Super Bowl his first year with Peyton and, and had a 16 and 0 season if it wasn't, uh, if he wasn't forced to sit his starters and he lost in the Super Bowl. And then he became the offensive coordinator for the Ravens and his first year won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco calling all the plays. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but when Kyle Shanahan calls all the plays and then actually blows the Super Bowl at the end for Atlanta Falcons, they were called a genius and he's allowed to do whatever he wants and he gets a six year contract. Contract. But when actually um, Caldwell wins the Super Bowl of offensive coordinator, we don't see that same type of language. And let's remember also that Joe Flacco had arguably the best postseason in the history of the National Football League. The only one that rivals uh, him was, was Joe, one of Joe Montana's postseason runs. And what's crazy about that is that Joe Montana is on anyone's shortlist as the greatest quarterback of all time. Joe Flacco's never made a Pro Bowl. No, and he, and in that run, he had 11 touchdowns to one interception, and um, they they had a great mixed-up offense there. It wasn't – you'd think it was the Ravens' defense, but actually it was the not offense that, that played really well. Yeah, right. not that year. Right, but so so – Everything that had good happens with Kyle happens despite and despite Caldwell. He's along for the ride. And then he goes to the worst franchise in history, really, which is the Lions, and he becomes the most winningest coach in Lions history. He takes a seven and nine team and he immediately goes eleven and five with um um Calvin Johnson and uh, Damakong Su as the, the premier players. Soon those players are gone. So he has to take a very middling team, and the main thing that he did was turn around the career of Matt Stafford. Matt mm-hmm. Stafford became became a losing quarterback, then became a winning quarterback. Matt Stafford's passer rating went up 10 points from 83 to 93.7 mm. under Caldwell. And now, since Caldwell left last year, he's regressed back to 89.9. So how many times does a quarterback guru have to help a quarterback and win before he could get some credit? And the fact is he can never get credit. And he's, done, he's followed all of the racist rules applied to head coaching and, and offensive coordinators. Mm. Now, you've been online uh, ferociously yeah. uh, defending the legacy of Jim Caldwell. What kind of pushback have you gotten? Because as you said, he's, he's not held suspiciously, not held in very high regard by some of the fanatariat out. Out there. Well, you know, I get a lot of he sucks, and and you Just know that's it. Uh, no, I, I get some. No, people who read the article, I, I get love from. Um, but you know, a lot of times, what happens in uh, with fans? Fans are very selective. All all football fans, all coaches. Like if you make a play at the two minutes at the end of the game that they don't like, they call out your loss and they say you're bad at situational football. You're not an intelligent game manager. All right. But the difference is when Andy Reid messes up his clock management, it is not an indictment of his intelligence. But if you find a play and you don't like Jim Caldwell how he did it at the end of the game, well then he's stupid. And this is the language they use in Detroit, including many of the writers. So I'm a metric guy. I'm a data guy. If you tell me someone's bad at situational football, well, let me measure that. So I went over and I looked over all the close games that Jim Caldwell has been in. And in, in uh, he wins nearly 60% of his close games. Mm-hmm. He w- nearly six. Oh, I'm, sell- I'm telling Chuck right now. We're all, all transparent on the air. Just raise your mic up a little bit. Okay. Jim Caldwell is 22 and 15 
in one-score games. Mm. That tells me, statistically, he's a very good game manager. He's very good at situational football. Matt Stafford had 20 comeback wins under Jim Caldwell. So... All of a sudden, Matt Stafford went from, oh, my goodness, to, hey, he could be an MVP candidate. Mm -hmm. Jim Caldwell did that. Now, does Matt Stafford have some magical um, comeback ability? Apparently not, because in the games that Caldwell didn't coach, he's 13-25 and in those one-score games. So we have a coach who puts him in a position to win but gets no credit for it. And Matt Stafford had a big regression this year under Matt Patricia. 6-10. and Eighty-nine point nine passer rating, which is which is not something you normally see unless there's like some sort of impact on the coaching staff. Because Matt Stafford, let's be, let, he's a veteran at this point. I mean, he's yes. like in his early thirties at this. I mean, he's he's not just like this young kid anymore. No, no, he's not. And um, and and what's interesting is that if you want to get statistical about it, the the offense last year was seventh in the league, and now this year they're 25th, the Lions offense. Their passing yards were 6th, now it's 20th under Patricia. Their total yards was 13th, now it's 24th under Patricia. And the new coaches they hired in the league, the Adam Gazes, the Matt LaFleurs, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, they all were terrible ran terrible offenses. So I'm told Matt M. Gaze is a QB guru, but apparently it didn't work in Miami because he was 31st in total yards, 30th in passing yards, and 26th in points. I'm told Matt, Matt LaFleur is a genius, except his offense was 27th in points. So the numbers don't explain this. Have you had anybody uh, read your article? Because it's a really terrific article. I'll put it back out again over Twitter um, so so folks can read it at Edge of Sports. I've already tweeted it already. Um, I just said already twice mm-hmm. already. Uh, so so have you had anybody read it and then come back to you and say, like, wow, I had one opinion about Caldwell, but this, this is changing my mind? Because I, I sometimes uh, become uh, distraught at the thought that even with the power of statistics yeah. and even with the power of data, people are so set in their opinions, particularly on issues of race and racism, that there's no moving people. Well, there's a lot of what you just explained. You know, I have a lot of people doing all gymnast- mental gymnastics because they didn't like Caldwell. But I have had, and it's the only thing that actually keeps me writing more, I've had had a number of people saying, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I thought he was bad. And if I have an edge on my voice, and I kind of do have an edge on my voice. Keep it. You keep know? the edge. Okay, I keep an edge. I actually this edge of sports, baby. I hurt for Jim Caldwell because I'm, I'm wondering what is going through this man's mind while he is watching Clint. Cliff Kingsbury, this little punk who's never coached a game, get a job. So if I feel angry, he has to sit here and says, after what I've put in over 30 years of coaching, gone to Super Bowls, increased the performance of every quarterback I ever worked with. And these little punks are getting hired because they know Sean McVay. Come on. Mm. So, so, so I'm angry about this, Dave. Like I can tell you my social media, Jim Caldwell story, which, uh, I mean, was, was not a lot of fun. I was very upset. When all these, when Jim Caldwell was first hired by the Detroit Lions, and a lot of very well-known commentators were making fun of Jim Caldwell for looking like a corpse on the sideline. Yeah. He never changes his facial expression yes, all the time, and and so there was a lot of that. And so I put um, on social media, I say, "Wow, you know, Tom Landry never changed his facial yeah. expression, and people treated him like he was this stoic genius." Jim Caldwell doesn't done it, and the translation is that he's an idiot. And people took from that that I was saying that Jim Caldwell is Tom Landry. And so it's like they're not even like looking at at like this. And first of all, I wasn't arguing that. And I don't 
really care to argue that. That's not even the point. The point is is how people interpret yeah. a man's lack of facial expression and how that's refracted through bias and race. And, and it, but, but it's like people don't want to deal with it on that level. They want to deal with it on the level of how can I attack you for defending somebody that I don't like. And frankly, what's underlying all of it, and I think this is why people respond so <coughs> sharply to some of the things that you've written, is there's that defensive posture of, you're calling me a racist instead of like saying instead of like them examining like, well, maybe I have some racist attitudes. Maybe I've ingested some of this culture yeah. that I'm a part of. Maybe I need to critically examine what I'm thinking. It just becomes like this blanket. You're calling me a racist. Yeah. And it, that lack of self-reflection, I feel like, becomes amplified by social media, becomes amplified by a polarized culture. And so, I mean, I give you a lot of credit because it, it's uh, it's a tough fight. It really is. It is a tough fight. I mean, I, I, the only way you can do something is if, if you say something's racist, let's say you're playing the race card. So, you know, my personal go-to is statistics. And you go to the statistics, and the statistics back him up. Now, you talk about the facial expression. That's real. Everyone says in Detroit. And the, the popular interpretation is you don't have enough fire. You don't have enough fire in the belly. How come he doesn't show more emotion on the sideline? Does anyone say that about Bill Belichick? Does anyone? No. They don't say that. So you have the separate rules for black coaches, not just in performance, but in how you're supposed to look. They want and someone to look like Mike Vrabel. Exactly. And they, they, they and, and like this idea and there's no shortage of this about asking people in the in the black culture lie to also be performative in some way. And and to like interpret quiet competence in some way as being unthinking, uh, while while Tom Landry again is like this amazing field general because right. his face doesn't change expressions. Um, I got one more question for you, and then we'll go to break. Um, my, my producer Magic Mike is looking at me like, "Come on, man!" But I got one more question because we've been. <laughs> he's like, "I don't care." All right, we've been dealing with statistics. Yes, and I'm going to ask you to stray away from the facts and get into the realm of wildly speculative opinion okay if that's okay let's do it all right i put this out on twitter um this is something that that i feel like needs to be discussed and what what i wrote was like <gasps> like like sort of sarcastically gee how can we possibly talk about racial bias from a group of owners who've given millions of dollars to donald trump yeah. and who colluded against colin kaepernick and now they have racist hiring practices how yeah. dare we may say such a thing hey where's that sand for my head and i guess what i wanted to ask you is do you think there's any connection between this a mini era of Colin Kaepernick and rebellious players and owners very directly saying we're not going to hire black coaches. Do you think there's a connection between actually trying to punish the black pipeline in the NFL to be punitive? I know wild speculation. We have no idea. This could be exactly what you described earlier, an obsession <laughs> yeah. with offensive numbers, yeah. an obsession with legacy, an obsession with the next pretty white young thing, yeah. an obsession with all of those things, with the McVeighisms. We could talk about that. But do you think there is a punitive element to this where they are going after the black coaching pipeline, some call it the Dungy pipeline, yeah. for, the, for the explicit purpose of punishing black rebellion? Well, first of all, I won't, I won't dismiss that. I will not dismiss that. It's on the table. It's on the table. What I think I could say is that because of Kaepernick and because of the Take a Knee movement, 
they want to show that they can be as white as they can possibly be to mm. counteract that. Whether it is done in, in, in a malicious way or an economic way or this way, I do believe there's a connection there. So what they're selling is white hope. We don't. We no longer see the average black quarterback. There are no Tony Banks like there used to be in the '90s. There, there were two or three you know, Jeff Blakes. There used to be average black quarterbacks. They no longer exist. You have to be an elite black quarterback or have the potential to be an elite quarter, black quarterback. The leadership position. And now they're eliminating all the black coaches unless you know you have such a pedigree like Mike Tomlin or you're practically going to win a Super Bowl like Anthony Lynn. Do I see a connection there? I do see a connection there and I believe it is responding to a white fan base that may feel um oh you're getting too black with this take and knee or too permissive with this take and knee. Um I need more whiteness in my game. Mm. And wow. So, all right, so we are going to get speculative. I'm going to get speculative as well and say that uh, these owners, man, they, they a lot of them are the fundraisers of the alt-right in this country. They fund the organizations. They fund the candidates. And so, first of all, the idea that they wouldn't have racial bias in their hiring is, to me, incredibly naive. And the second point I would make is I think they are they are still absolutely smarting over what Colin Kaepernick exposed, and they are willing to make – other people, purely on the basis of the color of their skin, pay the price because that's what they do. It's a modus operandi. I, I can't dismiss that at all. So we can't dismiss it. All right. Well, and I got one last question yeah, for you. let's do it. That's the last one. Cause, and, and this is about how the media is covering this because you put yeah. out – I mean some of your tweets. And t- tell everybody your Twitter handle real quick. It's, it's a great follow. Chuck Modi one. Um, it's at Chuck Modi one. Chuck M O D I one. And yeah, I've I've been kind of relentless on the coach thing. There was one thing you've been relentless. It's been driving you crazy. But even for me, who's got a pretty thick skin when it comes to this stuff, you put out one thing yesterday that sent my eyelids back like, wow, Chuck went there. So I want to ask you to explain this one tweet is you said that 90 percent of the media that's been covering this is actively doing so, as you put it, in bad faith. Like they are actively not talking about this issue, even though they see it. And I mean, yeah. so first of all, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What did you mean by that? That the media is covering this okay. in bad faith? Ninety. Yeah, this is why. This is why I'm an outsider, by the way. But this is fine. It's okay. I'm, I'm gonna choose truth every time. I, what, I think what I said was, if you came to the conclusion for both Cliff Kingsbury and Matt Lafleur that they were great hires. And I have to respect you as a media mind, both of them, not not one, but both of them, despite their incompetence, despite their background, with a 90 percent accuracy, I could only conclude that you are carrying NFL water to some degree or you are protecting access that you have, just Mm. like the way people protect access for the White House. People understand when you have access to an NFL team and locker room benefits and be able to interview people, you protect that access well. So when I say you're operating in bad faith is I don't believe you have the full independence to honestly say that Cliff Kinsbury hire was ridiculous. Not only that, it was a a monument to white privilege. And let me tell you what else Matt LaFleur has not accomplished anything with the Titans and we're hiring him. I'm not seeing factual analysis. So when I see that across the board, then I have to say something's wrong here. Bruce Arians 
fine, good hired, man's paid his dues. He's done. He has some 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 definite um, success behind his name. So we're not talking about all white coaches. We're talking about the completely incompetent and inexperienced ones. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But we're you're talking about that the media is actively not covering this. Yes, because they're access merchants for the National Football League. Yes, and I believe and and what what sometimes I get dismayed at is when you when you really and you've been in this so much longer than I have um Dave when you realize the tentacles of the NFL machine yeah. and how far they reach and how much they touch and let's we let's be honest ESPN and um the NFL are they're contractual partners so they have a mutual interest this doesn't mean they're not a couple of ESPN writers who've been very good at calling this out the vast majority haven't but what i'm saying is their larger corporate interests at work here Absolutely, and we need to understand that it's the same way. Uh, like, like I, I was furious at the news networks for airing uh, Donald Trump's eight-minute info racist infomercial about the wall. That's not an attack on the individual. That's not an attack on the individual journalists who work for those networks. Yeah. That's an attack on the corporate structure. Unfortunately, yes. too many people also don't differentiate between those things. But hey, we'll be back right after this with the collision. Eighty-nine point three FM WPFW, your home for jazz and justice. Thank you so much, Charles Modiano. You can follow Charles and all of his writing on Twitter at Chuck Modi One. That's Chuck Modi and the number one. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you got to read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back on the Edge of Sports podcast. Happy 2019, y'all. If you missed me, I missed you more. You better believe that. Now I've got some choice words about the story of Maori Davenport. If you haven't been following her story, let me just tell you straight off that Maori Davenport is back on the basketball court thanks to a ruling by an Alabama judge that took place just hours before we recorded this podcast. But I still want to tell you her story because it is so outrageous and justice delayed is still justice denied. So look, the story of Maori Davenport, it demands more attention, even as the noise of the NFL playoffs and the daily drama delivered by the NBA threaten to drown out every other story in the world of sports. Davenport is a senior basketball player at Charles Anderson High School in Troy, Alabama. She's one of the top players in the country, and she's committed to play for the legendary Vivian Stringer at Rutgers University. Yet she was declared ineligible for her senior season at Charles Henderson. And she's missed 16 games before that judge's ruling that I spoke about at the start of the show. Davenport played for Team USA over the summer. This is just the most outrageous story. And she led the team in rebounding and blocks. And they won a gold medal. Well done at the Under-18 Championship. And she received a check, a stipend check, for $857.20, which is standard practice for players on the team. But Davenport was one of only three players on the squad who still had another year of high school eligibility. And the Alabama High School Athletic Association does not allow payments of more than $250 to be made to players under its authority. 
The fact that USA Basketball sent the check at all was a clerical error, and it has taken full responsibility and apologized. Davenport returned the money immediately. That should have been the end of this story. But in an act of startling cruelty, the Alabama High School Athletic Association instead attempted to prevent Davenport from taking the court for her senior season. It's worth noting that neither of the other two players who also still had their senior years in front of them, who hail from different states, have not faced similar draconian punishment. This is a garbage decision by the Alabama High School Athletic Association and it should be roundly roasted for being this vindictive towards a model student-athlete who committed no offense. In her first comments following the suspension, Davenport said, I never imagined I would be training a whole season without playing a game, but that seems like what's happening. It's been hard, but I still have hope. Maybe something good can come out of this. Maybe the rule gets changed. It may not help me, but I don't want this to happen to any other athlete. The Alabama High School Athletic Association is denying Davenport more than just one last year of memories before she goes off to Rutgers. The move also prevents her from becoming a McDonald's All-American and receiving the kinds of national accolades for which she would have been able to compete. ESPN's Jay Billis, who's one of the sharpest critics of the rules that govern high school and college sports, was able to speak to the head of the high school association, Steve Savarese. And the ensuing conversation speaks to just how obtuse the heads of amateur federations are. Savarese told Billis, My charge is to uphold the rules. What if I said no? What if I let her play? If I make an exception to one rule, it opens up a Pandora's box on all of our rules. How could I enforce any rule? If I made an exception here, I would be arbitrary and capricious. It's difficult to see how, as Billis points out, This ruling could be seen as anything but arbitrary and capricious. Again, Davenport played no role in asking for or securing the stipend check for $857.20. As an educator, Savarese should know that the first rule for teaching, not unlike that for doctors, is to do no harm. This is a case of him going out of his way to harm someone for another person's extremely benign oversight. Joe Ehrman, the author of Inside Out Coaching, speaks of two kinds of coaches, the transactional kind, who are in it for themselves, and the transformational kind, who are motivated to positively impact the lives of young people. Savarese has proudly placed himself in the transactional camp. This is not about justice. This is about punishment for punishment's sake. This is about the kind of pettiness that only serves to make its practitioners look small. Shining a light on this case matters, not just for Davenport, but also for the greater cause so utterly absent in the world of amateur sports, common sense. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey everybody out there, this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People gotta know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up. 
and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes to Andy Murray, tennis player who is saying goodbye to the game. And just a quick shout out and tip of the hat to a player who is not only a great champion in the world of tennis, somebody who eked out a place for himself in the era of Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic, but also is somebody who was absolutely positively a proud open feminist and who spoke back against sexism whenever he had the opportunity. Uh, There was, of course, the moment where he was being praised for being the first person to win two Olympic gold medals, and Murray cut the questioner off and said, well, Venus and Serena have won four each. Or when he was asked by a journalist how it felt to see Sam Querrey become the first U.S. player to reach a major semifinal since 2009, and Murray cut him off and clarified with, male player. He also spoke out for equal pay for women's and men's players and used the highest possible platform to do it. Andy Murray also matched his words with deeds, hiring Emily Moresmo as a coach and crediting her for changing his game and then defending her when she would be attacked after every loss. No less a person than Billie Jean King took to Twitter to write, you are a champion on and off the court, so sorry you cannot retire on your own terms, but remember to look to the future. Your greatest impact on the world may be yet to come. Your voice for equality will inspire future generations. Much love to you and your family. Much love indeed, Andy Murray. Consider this a career appreciation award for just standing up. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award Sit your ass down. goes to a bulbous toad by the name of John Angler who is the current president of Michigan State University and former governor of the great state of Michigan. John Angler is trying to shut down any further investigation into the culture at Michigan State that led to Larry Nasser being a protected serial abuser of children. He said, quote, There are some people who want to continue to investigate and inquire into lots of things. I wouldn't support anymore. We're trying to get rid of lawyers and consultants now. We're trying to go back to work. Now, Angler's comments prompted a very strong reaction on social media. Jacob Den Hollander, the husband of Rachel Den Hollander, the woman who first publicly accused Nasser, called for Angler to be fired and said, When you are eager to get back to work and move on from the worst case of serial sexual predation of minors in decades, while obstructing attempts to get to the bottom of what happened, well, it tells everyone a lot about what sort of person you are. Damn straight. Just sit your ass down, John Angler, you bulbous toad. Okay, this is part of the show we call Kaepernick Watch. I don't have a great deal about that this week, except for one point, because I tweeted something that Colin Kaepernick retweeted, and it kind of went viral. And it's just, I, I didn't even think two things about it when I tweeted it, and I think it's worth sharing. It was a poll taken by Bleacher Report that said, 95% of NFL players said that they believe that Colin Kaepernick should be on an NFL team. 95%. And I tweeted that out with the comment, well, if they sat out a game or even threatened to sit out a game until Colin Kaepernick was signed, he'd be signed tomorrow. And Kaepernick retweeted that, and it's gone all over the place. And I guess I just want to say that I know it's a lot easier to say than do when it comes to like a mass wildcat action or a strike and that kind of level. 
but I think it's just worth reminding us that that's where the power really lies. So if that many players really do want to see Colin Kaepernick back on an NFL field, that is what it would take. It would take labor action because as the Los Angeles teachers are showing us right now, labor action is the only way to win. Well, that's all we have for this week. Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. It's so great to be back doing this show. Next week, I'm so excited, we're going to have Kane Coulter on, the former Northwestern University quarterback uh, who tried to unionize the players at Northwestern. I've been wanting to interview him for some time. He and I have spoken off the record on several occasions. I'm so happy to get him on the mic and get his thoughts about the NCAA and his experience in Northwestern and wait till you hear what he's doing now. It's going to blow your proverbial socks off. Uh, Thanks so much to everybody for sticking with the show. Thank you to The Nation magazine. If you like the show, it actually does us a huge favor. If you rate it, if you make a comment about it at iTunes um, or your podcast app of choice, I just have to tell y'all that you know we're competing against the big boys. We put this out as independent media. So anything you do to spread the word helps a ton. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.